Hello, everyone. This is Kelly Reed from the SIOP Visibility Committee. I'm excited to welcome our guest to the SIOP Conversation Series, Dr. Evan Sinar, Head of Assessments at BetterUp. Before we start today's conversation, I want to remind you that the majority of today's questions were submitted by you, our listeners. I also ask that you turn off your video and remain on mute for the entirety of today's conversation. Also, a reminder that all episodes of the SIOP Conversation Series are recorded and published as a podcast on iTunes and Google Play and are housed on the SIOP Conversation Series landing page. As our live listeners will notice, today's conversation includes video. As part of this platform, you also have the opportunity to ask questions during the live broadcast using the chat forum on Zoom. Evan has graciously agreed to remain on the line for 15 minutes following our standard 30-minute broadcast to answer some of the in-the-moment questions you all might have today. Now, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Evan Siner to our conversation today. Um, Evan is the head of assessments at BetterUp, where he designs a strategic system of diagnostic whole person assessments centered on and fueling BetterUp's model for personal transformation through guided behavior change. Evan creates assessments with a development-first approach, which in turn informs insight-rich coaching conversations, tailoring of personalized learning tracks, and optimized routes to flourishing employee well-being and peak effectiveness. Evan is a thought leader and frequent author on topics such as AI, future of work, HR analytics, leadership development and technology-enabled assessment. He is a fellow of SIOP and has served terms on the SIOP executive board as financial officer and conferences and programs officer. In addition, Evan has authored dozens of professional presentations and publications and has served on the editorial board of several journals, including the Journal of Applied Psychology and the Journal of Business and Psychology. Evan has been recognized as a top worldwide influencer in leadership development, HR analytics, Internet of Things, big data, and data visualization. Evan, we're so glad that you could join us today. Great. Yeah, thanks so much for, uh, for having me on, Kelly, and thanks everyone for joining, and Preemptive uh, thanks to everyone who might be listening to this later. Wonderful. Evan, thank you. We've got lots and lots of great questions from our listeners to get through today. <laughs> we also want to get all the royal scoop from you too about Prince Harry and his chief impact officer role. So I'm yeah. not sure what we'll you spend working on today. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, had to throw that one out there. Um, but we look forward to diving in and learning lots more about your work here at BetterUp, as well as your past work and your work with PSYOP. So let's dive in. So um, Evan, we wanted to start just by asking you a little bit about your background. Um, could you, you know, walk us through how you first became interested in IO? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I went to uh, a pretty small undergraduate college, Pomona College, um, and we didn't have a we didn't have an I/O program there. Uh, so I was um, in, in working in psychology in the psychology um, major. Uh, I was trying to get into a cognitive psych class one semester, and it didn't get in. And so I went to the the professor, and she was kind of looking through the catalog to see if she could find other other courses that I might be able to take. And one of our sister colleges, uh, Claremont McKenna, had an org psych. Uh, class and so I, uh, in in in, de in desperation at the time, uh, went to uh, take that class instead, and, and yeah, really really enjoyed it, and really liked the as I think many of us experience the the social side of the the field, but also the the application side of what we have the ability to to influence through our work, and um, so uh, I went to Bowling Green State University, so a bit of a leap of faith there because I hadn't hadn't really had much more than a couple of, of courses or awareness at that point and um, yeah, had a great experience there and then just had the opportunity to uh, to stick with it. 
And so um, from there, can you talk a little bit about how you decided to go down this um, practitioner path, but with a heavy science focus? Right, sure. Yeah, I think, you know, I think when, you know, when we, when we think about the, the way to uh, see our work come, come to life and impact people in the most direct way possible, uh, I continue to and certainly appreciate and, and try to continue to be involved in, in various forms of research and then trying to find the, the balance of that with the ability to, to apply that work um, through the through a practitioner role. And so at, at DDI, um, uh, I started off in a role of focusing on our, our, our assessments and, and tests and, and building those out. So uh, the ability to really understand, to capture the, the understanding of individuals and how that could help organizations make, make good decisions and people find uh, find the right fit. So I think that that application opportunity, while still be able, being able to keep a foot in, in research and certainly try to stay involved with PSYOP, uh, it's been a, a balance I've tried to try to maintain for various roles. Fantastic, thank you. And so now at BetterUp, you work to use, and how long have you been at BetterUp now? Yeah, a little over two years. Okay, thank you. So at BetterUp, you work to use assessments to fuel BetterUp's model for personal transformation through guided behavior change. Can you elaborate and explain how assessments function and fit within BetterUp's model? Sure, yeah, and I think the first uh, the first point to make, because this is, this is was quite different than some of my prior roles is in, in the in this context, everything, all the assessments are entirely uh, developmentally centric and really developmentally exclusive. So uh, whereas in my past roles, it was a bit more of a blend with um, with work on uh, hiring, selection, promotion, assessments. This is purely uh, for development. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later, but it is foundational to this, this question as well. So as you think about what we're trying to to drive in terms of behavior change and really a long-term uh, form of growth for the individuals that are on our platform. Uh, we, we use the assessments to really catalyze and, and crystallize our understanding of, of those individuals as they're, they're entering onto our, our platform and often working directly with one-on-one -on -one dedicated coaches. So think about uh, the assessments as a way to really fuel and, and supercharge those early conversations that they have with, with individuals. Uh, assessments provide that that framework and that foundation to do that. Then we have other assessments that are more broadly uh, integrated across the, the journey that someone would have with us. So we have different assessments that track progress over time and other pulse assessments, 360. So there's a broader ecosystem that we're trying to, to build out there. Um, the, uh, the, the approach we take, we, we, call, we call it a whole person model, whole person assessment. So we do, we do try to look across a pretty broad spectrum and uh, we do some work where we're mapping that model to existing organizational competency models. And uh, there's, there's, there's quite a bit of overlap around what we think we're providing some distinct um, information around the inspiring portions of a, of a role. So the, the guiding others or motivating others and in, 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 impacting others in that way as a, either leader or formal, uh, either a formal or informal leader. But the portion of the model that's probably a bit more distinct is focusing on uh, emotional thriving, physical thriving, social thriving, cognitive thriving. So we, we use that as a way to really complement in many ways, some of the more uh, traditional and in place models that, that organizations have. And um, so the, uh, I think the scope of the data is is a bit broader than it would be in a in a selection context because these are these are uh, things that we think are are developable and that we've seen evidence that people grow uh, grow on over time, and because it is in that developmentally centric uh, space and context in terms of no data individual data shared back 
uh, outside of the context of the, of the coaching relationship or if someone chooses to with their manager, we think that leads to a particularly authentic form of, of the data. So think about the, 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 the these of big data. We think the veracity of the data is, is fairly unique and, uh, and also the, the length of time that we have the opportunity to, uh, to work with these individuals on. So that the, the use of assessments as diagnostics to provide that, that higher resolution view of, of how they're, they're growing over time or where they're getting stuck and how we can help them get unstuck uh, is a key part of the, the model. I also think the model can serve as a, as a fairly unique form of employee sensing. And, and of course, that's something that a lot of us are uh, the broader field is thinking quite a bit about, uh, particularly around topics like well-being, like stress, that uh, there aren't necessarily a lot of existing outlets for uh, to get an understanding of what people might be grappling with real time, but also how to how to get them that just-in-time support. And then the models used as a as a baseline for behavior change uh, as well. So it all that feeds into the the coaching conversations, the the learning customization, so recommendation engines on what people would get. Uh, would get some developmental resources on, and then ultimately how we're, we're allowing organizations in aggregate to see how uh, how their employees are, are growing on employee experience or on constructs related to uh, diversity and inclusion, and uh, that's where we try to that's where we try to focus the overall value of the model across both the the members of the individuals being coached and then the the organizations that we're working. With. Evan, thank you. That's a great um, that's a great background and context for uh, for us to understand a little bit about your work and the framework for assessments within BetterUp's model. I'd be curious to kind of um, explore this a little bit. So um, I'm not sure the extent to which you encounter these conversations in your role at BetterUp or you know within PSYOP or maybe not at all. But there's obviously been a lot of talk this year since um, HBO's documentary on Persona and just bringing the conversation of the validity of personality assessments and assessments in general into the public sphere in a way that maybe it hasn't really been talked about at this level. Um, and I know a lot of IO psychologists have a lot of strong feelings about this. Can you share a little bit more with our group today about um, some of the talking points that you use whenever people bring up, you know, that particular reference and, and things that may be helpful for IO psychologists to keep as talking points in their back pocket? If you, if you have a point of view, you're able to share on that today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I did have an opportunity to, to provide input to some of the PSYOPs positioning on that. So I, I think that uh, I, I agree with the positions there. Um, there's obviously a lot to a lot to unpack there to a degree. I, I think there's a lot. I think it's I think it's an important dialogue to have because these are um, these are tools that that can impact people and, and impact people's lives. And I think of our the role that we're trying to play is to um, really, given the developmental focus of the tools that, that we use, uh, we, we think that we're able to impact their lives exclusively in a, in a positive way. And so if we are understanding some of the areas where people are weak, it's it's in the context of, of giving them uh, the tools and, and resources and really self-awareness to grow against those. So I think the the context is probably a little different depending on the different roles and, and organizations and how they intersect. Um, but I think it's an important conversation to to have. I think it brought some some visibility and I think you know mixed visibility in some ways um, to the field. Uh, but I've been um, I've been been proud to be part of the the conversation about uh, how we as a field uh, are positioning our work um, alongside, but in some cases in, in juxtaposition against some of the framing in, in, in pieces like that. And I think, um, I think because uh, tests and assessments can be used for so many different purposes, I think it could lead to some, some blurry lines in terms of how they are understood as something that might be used purely as a, 
as a tool that's, that's screening individual out and, and missing the context of, of everything that those tools add to reduce subjectivity, to bring objectivity. Obviously, fairness is something that we're, we've got decades and decades of, of work studying and, and avoiding bias. So I think the, 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 some of the positions there, I think were, um, you know, I think raised some important questions, but I think as a field, uh, I think we've done a great job of, of responding to that. And I think depending on different ways that our respective tools intersect with uh, what was discussed there. And of course, uh, you know, many, uh, anyone who's, uh, professionally working in the field, you know, they're, they're doing their own work to establish the, the relevance and validity and, and, and in most cases, the, the candidate acceptability and reactions for the tools they're using. So I think with that context in mind, I think, you know, we as a field are, are not only acting against some of the, the concerns raised, but I think in many cases, those drive our, the science itself in terms of avoidance of, of discrimination and, and introducing the tools that we have as a way to actually counteract some of the uh, some of the discriminatory forces that the, the 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 show was justifiably calling out, but I also think that's something that our field is really calibrated against in terms of bringing that out of the system and objectivity and fairness and reduction of bias. Evan, thanks for sharing those insights. It sounds like for those listeners to the broadcast and podcast that maybe haven't seen PSYOP's official position or response um, to the HBO Persona documentary, that that would be a great thing for them to go and check out at PSYOP.org if they want to dive in and learn more. So continuing to build on the assessment conversation, so you describe your approach to building assessments as development focused. Can you explain, continue to explain, because I know you've talked to this um, a little bit already so far, can you explain a development first approach to assessments and how can the data be used to inform coaching and development conversations and plans? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, that I think that really starts with developability of of the constructs themselves, and um, so uh, the 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 constructs that, that we might target in, in a developmentally focused assessment, just as uh, those of you who are working in in that area, they they are going to tend to be a bit different than uh, than some of the the constructs that might be less developable, more more trait based, and in that in that sense, more appropriate for for use as as a selection and, and hiring tool. And so our model uh, is, is distinct from that in terms of the, you know, we, we try to only focus on things that either can, can be understood for, for self-awareness or that someone might uh, choose, might learn about themselves and uh, interact with their coach and understanding. And that's where some of the, the mindsets might come in that uh, like a, a growth mindset or locus of control or self-efficacy. Uh, but generally our focus is on the, uh, the way that these behaviors that someone's perceiving them themselves and then as others are perceiving them. So I think in that context, there's some overlap with other, other forms of assessment. Uh, but we do want to, we, we are trying to create a, a system which uh, can complement something that might have existed pre-hire for, for someone and, and really trying to focus on the developmental space, which for many hiring tools, uh, past the onboarding point that the, the support there can, can drop off or wane in some ways. So we try to think about ways we can we can complement some other uh, uh, strong tools that the organization might already be using for other purposes. Uh, for our in our in our environment, uh, we think the assessment helps align the coaches or the support that we're providing to the context of, of the organization. So um, we think that the by by understanding how someone's perceiving themselves and how others are perceiving them in these areas and, and aligning the way the coach is providing support and advice in those areas uh, that helps to make sure that uh, we're not only helping the individual with what they need help on, but also uh, matching that to what can help someone thrive within a particular organization. 
in that way. Um, we think about uh, balancing the the agency of the individual. So they have a they they have a almost infinite number of paths through uh, their work with us in terms of what they would choose to focus on with their coach and across that entire whole person model uh, that I described earlier. But also aligning that with with the strategy for the organizations that that we're working with. So we're not prescribing paths for them because we actually feel like the more that we give individuals agency to uh, work with their coach on something that perhaps they don't have an avenue to work on uh, otherwise or, or perhaps not at the individual one-to-one uh, -one personalized level so something like stress or resilience or work-life balance uh, we've seen uh, we've seen some evidence that if someone's not doesn't have the channel to address some of those uh, pressures which of course are, are prevalent right now in the environment um, some of the some of the other ways that they could grow individually or grow as a leader um, they're often not not really ready to engage with those until they uh, they address some of the other challenges that they're facing at this more fundamental languishing or, or thriving level uh, first. Uh, so for us, it helps uh, it helps the coaches uh, elevate their role. So the coach is one one of the mechanisms that we provide individuals to to give them that that guidance. Uh, certainly, it, it feeds into the reporting that uh, someone can track against themselves or their coach can, can keep an eye on. So as they're improving in some areas based on uh, where they might have focused uh, their, their development time uh, or where they might be stuck or, or perhaps there's something contextually in their environment. So they, they recently uh, got a new position or recently gained a new team member or gained a new boss or the organization strategy change or, uh, of course, working from uh, transitions from uh, transitions to remote work. Uh, as an example. So uh, the, the resolution of that data over time uh, helps us keep an eye on, on those patterns and, and again, get, get someone the, the just-in-time support that they need there. Um, we also, because we have, we're able to, to look to work with an individual across months and in some cases years, um, that also allows us to make some, uh, what we think are, are some pretty uh, distinctive connections between the, the, the constructs that, that we understand from them through the assessments and uh, where they chose choose to focus their coaching. So if someone is um, seems to be uh, struggling in a particular behavioral area, uh, what do they then turn to their coach and, and, and seek guidance on? Or if they've recently gone through a promotion or gone through a, a change in organizational strategy or a change to remote work, what's that responsiveness of where, where and how they're then seeking advice uh, from the coach or from the uh, in the platform that we we put together. So we think that provides a, a fairly rich set of analyses to, to how that data are used in, in the developmental context. Uh, we do also think of assessments as a form of experiential learning itself. So that's where some of the more uh, interactive or, or gamified uh, assessment elements uh, would come in. So, so that in that context, the assessments can serve not only as a, as a diagnostic, uh, but also to provide a more immersive experience that can actually grow someone through the through the assessment itself, whether it's through the, the practice or the awareness or other uh, other mechanisms feeding into that. Um, just a quick uh, follow up final note uh, where, where we see some of the, the watch outs for where the assessment and development model can can get out of sync. Um, I think the first one is if there's a really a breach of trust for the individual and, and the veracity of the data. So we have a lot of really tight protections around how this data is used and who it's used by and who it's accessible by, which is really just the individual and his or her coach. They can choose to share forms of that with their manager. We think that helps uh, helps maintain the the authenticity and really the safe space of the data. And, that, and that's something we take very seriously, of course. And um, 
So that's a key watch out for, for something that we think needs to be in place. We think of the coach as, as really an equal partner and stakeholder in our work. That's something that I never had in my prior roles. Uh, there was never a, a, co- a direct one-to-one coach there that was a consumer of the, of the, of the information that, that I was generating. So that's been a, a unique dimension to this form of work. So certainly the participant themselves, uh, the organization, but an aggregate, but then the, how the way that the coach can be this key linchpin to how someone uh, can grow in the areas that are surfaced from the assessment. Of course, they, they understand the assessment uh, very well themselves. Uh, we see a lot of evidence that if the organization's uh, coaching culture, psych safety, and manager involvement is, is flagging, then individuals won't, won't grow as much or as fast uh, through, the, through really any, any program, but certainly coaching being one of those. So we try to keep an eye on those scenarios and work closely with the organizations to, to have those in place alongside the program. The coaching is going to benefit the individuals either way, but uh, it'll have a stronger impact to the degree that there's a, a stronger coaching culture more broadly. So that's something we, we try to track there. And then finally, just the, um, you know, I think the models that are more of a, thinking of individuals' growth more as a, as a life cycle, more of a dynamic uh, stage of, of growth or change. And, and generally, uh, you know, of course, that might have some plateaus along the way based on something that they may have encountered that changed the, the nature of their role and, and getting them uh, getting them back on the path to, to growth versus something that's more of a, of a snapshot-based approach. So because the data are, are longitudinal in nature, um, it lends itself to some, some unique analyses that way. Kevin, thank you. And shifting gears here a little bit. So this past year of working during the pandemic has shown us the importance of technology at work. We're using that right now to facilitate today's conversation. As someone who has researched and written on topics, including AI, the future of work and technology-based assessment, how do you think our approach to utilizing technology at work has changed and maybe will continue to evolve in the future? Sure. Yeah, and this is, I mean, something I think we're, uh, you know, broadly as a field, we're, we're 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 pretty fixated and focused on justifiably. I think I think there's been a lot of boundary challenging with with the use of technologies at work. Uh, I think the 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 pandemic, just as with many forces, it's it's accelerated change, uh, taking something that might have taken a decade into into just a few months, and I think it it accelerates. Uh, how people are are okay with with technology and used in ways that they may not have, have thought about earlier. I think there's a for better or worse there as well um, in terms of the the way that technology is is incorporated, really ne- necessary for many people to 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 do their work or to engage with their work through through obviously remote platforms as as one example. Um, I do worry about the the threats to standardized work environments. So. Um, you know, we've we've all collectively as a field done a lot of work to to understand the context of work environments and, and how that can impact effectiveness, productivity, satisfaction, and uh, there's a lot. There's a, another form of variability that's mixed in there now uh, for many, which is of course working working remotely, and those that have the ability and really privileged to work remotely in in a, in a space that allows them to do so. And so I think as a field. Um, I don't I don't think we have a great handle on that yet. I know there's some, a lot of active research on this, but how um, how that, how the technology variability and the really the interplay between technology and effectiveness, how that can be understood and ultimately managed and optimized for for all individuals, not just those that that can can work in a home office, uh, those that uh, are working um, are working in person. So that hybrid work environment, I think there's a lot to understand there with technology at the roots there. Um, I think there's been a lot of necessity based adaptation to technology where 
you know, none of us really necessarily had a choice for the the pace and form of which that that change occurred. And I do wonder about and worry about the the degree to which that might have shifted the the continuous learning about technology or really the choice uh, of when and how to adopt technology. It's taken some of that uh, out of the equation for many. And and what are the consequences of that? Um, we have seen a focus on on more use of technology for for well-being and, and understanding what and how and to what degree people are, are struggling with uh, the current pressures and forces. And I say that's been a, a very positive application of technology and really opened up the the door to a broader awareness and understanding and in data capture and analytics around uh, those topics. And then the I think the continuous listening and sensing uh, models are also becoming increasingly important, and we see this in, in our data as well. So if there are if there's a major uh, societal event, that's something that that people are obviously they're hearing about, and, and they're in some cases it's generating stress for them uh, to think about those situations, and so it really puts a premium on. Of course, our field has been moving this way already, away from more once a year culture surveys, for example, to something that's more. Uh, more continual and in a higher resolution of data there. So I think that employee sensing and learning and the tools that, that gather that will also try to manage the privacy and other issues there, uh, I think has also been key to the, the use of technology at work. Kevin, thank you. Okay, so speaking of major societal events, I have to ask, I alluded to this earlier, but in all seriousness, so BetterUp made quite a splash recently by announcing the introduction of a new role that most people hadn't even heard of, a chief impact officer role, with a very public figure who I won't mention <laughs> um, taking that role. But we saw a lot of major news media start to then talk about what is the role of a chief impact officer? What does this do? Are we going to start seeing more of this in the role of corporate America? My question for you, and I don't know, again, if, if you're able to comment on this today, but but could you talk a little bit more about what, what a chief impact officer does and is there a role for IO psychologists to support that work as we start to see more and more of this convergence of you know, the world of um, HR and people at work and corporate social responsibility starting to grow closer, closer and closer together? Sure, yeah. And yeah, I, yeah the, the specific scenario, uh, yeah, we've uh, we've, we've definitely got some material out there on, you know, we've been privileged to uh, work with that, that individual on a, a blog that I think really lays out uh, the particular circumstances there, there very well, and really why and how that, that, that mutual interest was there. So uh, I won't go as deep into that, but I think it speaks more generally to the, the way that the dialogue around, um, around well-being has changed and, and the, the visibility of those topics. And uh, so I think as individual, as other impact officers within organizations or, you know, certainly HR leaders themselves, as they think about what does it truly mean to, to impact the, the health and well-being of our employees. And I think we as a field are pretty well tuned to think of that from a performance perspective. And, and we've, of course, got some, some threads of our work through the, I think the work in occupational health is a key example there. I think this the, this broader scenario and you know the the situation you mentioned being one indicator of that. I think it's bringing more more awareness and attention there. I, I think that's generally a, a very positive trend that I think we as a field can can respond well to. I think it it actually connects well with with areas that as a field we've already been been growing in. And uh, as my work with with the SIOP conference, we we try to look at some some topic tracking over time. So seeing the the occupational health topic uh, surge over time. And, and I think there's also some close connections there with, with diversity, which, which is also, of course, um, has also been growing as an emphasis in our field. So I think this is a, an intersection and, and potentially inflection point for the broader awareness of those topics. So 
Um, so yeah, I come back to the, you know, just the way that organizations are self-included uh, and organizations that we work with, the way they think about impact. I think impact itself uh, is more broadly defined than it perhaps would have been a couple of years ago. And I think that's that's got implications probably across uh, the scope of much, much of the work many of us are doing. Evan, thanks. And so um, kind of last question to wrap up today, our uh, recorded broadcast portion of the conversation. Um, as you think about the trends that you're watching in the, you know, in the field of IO, what do you see as some of those big trends that other IOs maybe should be paying attention to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, um, I think we we all we all want to work together to understand what did what did these pandemic changes put on on hold for individuals and what does it mean when uh, when and who knows if business will ever be back to, to normal as it was in, in 2019 but some something approximating that so uh, as an example um, we saw that individuals were spending less time focusing on career planning and more time focusing on on stress management and. Uh, and of course, that's that's understandable based on the pressures they're facing um, in terms of leadership development programs. Some of those programs have been paused either because of logistics or because um, individuals just simply have other other challenges that they're, that they're trying to work through uh, to maintain their productivity. So, um, I mean, there's obviously been some discussion of return to work, but I'm not sure there's been enough discussion on what's what's been lost or what progress has been lost alongside this, you know, in many cases, a pause on a lot of key growth areas for individuals. And so I think as a field, that's that's probably the broadest form of, of what we should be prepared to work with our, our organizations on. I think that has implications for innovation. I think it has implications for resilience and how we understand those factors, but also for leadership development more broadly. Uh, what are the implications of, of a lot of individuals stepping back from growing as a leader and taking, uh, recognizing and, and addressing some of the challenges they're facing personally for well-being, but how do we then restore the, the growth there for the next generation of leaders uh, and the leader bench for, for organizations? Evan, thank you. Well, unfortunately, that is all of our time for today for the recorded portion of our broadcast. To our podcast listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And Evan, on behalf of SIOP, the Visibility Committee, and all of our listeners, thank you for an engaging and enlightening conversation for taking the time to speak with us and of course for your contributions to the field and service to PSYOP. Please join us for our next conversation on Wednesday, July 28th with Dr. Richard Landers, the John P. Campbell Distinguished Professor of IO Psychology at the University of Minnesota and expert on technology and workplace behavior. We also have lots more exciting um, conversation series guests to announce coming up here soon. Evan, again, thank you uh, for joining today's discussion. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Until next time, take care.